Okay. Well, first I wanted to thank Brachi, Dwarshamalatov, on her birthday, and she's sponsoring the class. And tomorrow, obviously we cannot do a class tomorrow night, um, but I will tape it earlier. So I don't know what time, but sometime before Shkia, or sometime after Chatzites, you can get on to listen to the year. Today we are doing, quickly, Chapter 8 of Tanya, I guess Wednesdays in the long day. So Rebbe begins by giving us an example, a pretty extreme example, to show how tied something is if it's usher, which we learned last chapter means tied to Klebus Tameos. Rebbe says, if you accidentally ate something that you thought was kosher, but wasn't, and you ate it L'Shem Shemayim, you only had the intention to serve Hashem with it. And not only that, but you took the energy and you davened or you learned and you expended every calorie on Hashem. It's stuck. It's trapped. And nothing happened. Nothing godly happened. That is completely tied Kalitas Timaeus because it was us. Obviously, if the food was kosher, it would now be in Kedusha. You have beautiful intention and you fulfilled the intention. But the food was us, sir. It stuck in Kalitas Timaeus. And the Bible says, even if it was Asr Mizrabanan, there's no differentiation. Anything Achachanan Asr is as Asr, as tied to Klikas Timaeus. The Bible explains that there are two types of temptations in the world, generically. Goyesha, Shindalas, and Jewish. A Goyesha one is a temptation for the forbidden, the temptation for Klikas Timaeus. The Jewish one is a temptation for the permissible the indulgence in Klitas Naiga. Obviously, Jews can suffer from Galatia temptations because if we've lowered ourselves enough times and we've taken our Klitas Naiga elements and brought them down into Klitas Timaeus, it starts sticking. It starts attracting us as well. But innately, the Jewish temptation is to indulge in Klitas Naiga. So you say, okay, it's not so bad. It's just Klitas Naiga, indulgence. But it is temporarily, during the time of the indulgence, it goes down to Klippus Timaeus. And even afterwards, you do tshuva right away, which we explained is very easy with overindulgence in Klippus Timaeus since it's innately untied, since it's innately permissible. It never really becomes tied to the Klippa, just sort of floating in Klippus Timaeus land, but it's not tied to the Klippa. But still, there was a tremendous impression, both on your neshama and on your body, during this experience of being tied, not being tied, I'm sorry, during this experience of being within the realm of Klippus Meus. And that's why there's an after-death purging process that's necessary for the body. It's called Sibata Kavar. For the neshama, it's called kafakela. And both of these purging processes are to refine from the impression left by temporarily being in the realm of Klippus Tereus, which really shows you how intense this whole thing is. Because you didn't do an Avera here. You indulged in the permissible, and the Rebbe is saying, after death, your body and your neshama need purging for temporarily bringing Klippus Timaeus when you were indulging in the permissible. 
So you should be like, wow, does anyone not have to go through this? Or says, well, yeah, let's maybe review who's ahead and Someone who can lift up his hands to Shemayim and say, Abishter, you know all the Gashmis I had, and he had very luxurious Gashmis. It was all for you. Not one finger of it was for me. But for other people, this is considered, relatively speaking, of course, a very light punishment, if you want to use the word punishment or cleansing process. But it's, it's there because the cleansing needs to happen. Now, until the end of the parak, the Rebbe is going to discuss the idea of speech and use that as a model for how we see the process of an Avera and what it impacts. And we're going to give now four levels of inappropriate speech. We'll try to do this, of course, very briefly. The first one is Devarim Betelim Beheter. Devarim Betelim means empty, nourishable words. Something evil? No. Something forbidden? No. Something empty? Something devoid of godly intent, purpose, or meaning. But it's Devarim Betelim Beheter. It's permissible because you are a woman or an ignoramus. And therefore, at this moment, you are not under the constant obligation to learn Tyra. As such, you don't have to talk other talk besides Tyra, but the problem is it's empty words. You could talk words of content. You could talk meaningful words. You could talk words to express Avas Yisrael and warmth and caring and chesed. And you could talk words of tefillah. You could talk words helping a mitzvah. You could talk words to your children. There's lots and lots of words we can say and have lots of godly intent and meaning. But if it's just dam, narisha, to fill the air with the sound of your voice, but not forbidden, this is a classical example of indulging in klipas naiga. Often we think of these things as only food-related. It is not only food-related. This is indulgence in klipas naiga, and therefore, as we just discussed, there needs to be the purification both of Chibbut cover for the body, and Kafakela for the Neshama. The next level would be far worse is Dibur Masurim. Dibur Masurim means forbidden words. All the, probably the simplest example, of course, in our world is Lashon Hara, all such words that Hashem said, don't say. Once Hashem said, don't say, then it's not enough Chibbut cover and Kafakela. At this point, I need to really have a cleansing, unless, of course, the person did tshuva, and this isn't necessary. But if the person did not do tshuva for this avera, and even here we're talking about the basic tshuva, harata, vidoy, kabbalah, haba. The basic tshuva really has four steps. You regret, feel that's what you did. You confess. The built-in confession is after Shemona Esrei, Shachris, and Mincha as well as Krish Malhamita, we say, Ashamnu, Bagannu, Gazalnu, the Vidoy Confession, think of the Avera, Kabbalah Lahaba, you resolve you are not going to do this again, wait, watch, Hashem will test you, pass the test, you did your Tshufa, Hashem will send you Kapara, He will send you Atonement, you are forgiven for this Avera. If a person didn't go through that process, and I just went through the process, I'm sure we all know it because I feel a lot of times people don't think of it as a realistic process. It's like sort of something they learned in school during ELO. I mean, I use it all the time. <laughs> it happens. We mess up. 
Hashem has a system. This is his system. It's a practical system. If we want to be more spiritually inclined, go for Chuvamehava. It's much better. If you do Chuvamehava, you so rectify the act, there's no residual effect. No kafakela, no kafakela, not that we're worried. Mashiach is coming. We're living forever. But any of the spiritual impurities are completely transformed by your higher tshuva. But if for this moment it was just a small act, it's not something you're going to get inspired to feel so far from Hashem for. It was really just a small thing. So it was a small tshuva. But takes care of it. That's the idea. If you do that tshuva, great. When the person will pass away, they're fine. If a person didn't do tshuva, for any indulgence in the forbidden, the example here is you are indulging in words that are us. For any indulgence in forbidden, there needs to be Gehenna afterwards. Which type of Gehenna? There are two types. Gehenna shall shell or Gehenna shall ish. The Gehenna of snow, the Gehenna of fire. The Gehenna of snow, obviously an allegorical concept, to reflect the iciness inside of you the apathy, the coldness, the dullness that led you not to do what Hashem wants. So for not doing an assay, it's Gehenim Shel Shemak. The Gehenim Shel Eish, that's the classical vision of the fires of Gehenim, which again are non-physical fires, but the fires of Gehenim are because of the fires that led you to do the wrong thing, to atone for the transgression of a losasay. But Gehenna is only applicable if there was no tshuva. If a person did a complete tshuva, there is no Gehenna. There's still with the Kevin Kafakela, because regular tshuva can't clean deep enough to take away those marks. So as we said, tshuva may have a ken. But there is no Gehenna with regular tshuva. Of course, as I said, we are not thinking of life in those terms, but just to understand the severity of the consequence, and therefore, the Tapurai and Hashem loves when we do tshuva. The next level, even worse, then speaking something forbidden is not learning Torah. Now, again, this means for a man who has a constant mitzvah assay to learn Torah, not the mitzvah to know Torah. As I think Shani asked me the question, it came up a few times ago, we women have an obligation to know quite a lot of Torah, but we don't have the constant obligation to learn it. We just have to know. We have to know. We do the law. But a man, no matter how much he knows, he has a constant obligation to learn unless he is busy doing something else. So if he could be learning Torah now, should be learning Torah now, and is not, there is a tremendous problem going on here. And I see, I see it's getting late. Um, so I'll try to do this more quickly. For which he has very, very multiple punishments, unless, of course, he does tshuva. Resolve to be better in the future and focus. And then you have all the punishments we listed, but this time, of course, for not learning Torah, it's Gehenim Shalshalik, unless he was not learning Torah and at the time speaking something inappropriate, and then, of course, the Gehenim Shalshalik and Gehenim Shalesh, plus a special consequence, a special punishment for not learning Torah because it is so, so precious and valuable to Hashem that you didn't learn Torah. It's like Hashem says, this is my inner secret. This is my will and wisdom. And you can't even be bothered to learn it? It's not precious to you? And I was thinking, when we say brachos in the morning, the entire last page of brachos is all about Torah. The whole page. 
the end of the page before, of course, we make a bracha on Torah, and then the whole page is Torah. Like, wow. That's, our sages are showing us percentage-wise how significant Torah is to our life if it's such a huge chunk of our morning brachas. Hashem wants you to learn Torah. This is the way we connect to Him. The last issue, which I will do briefly, though it's not a brief thing, the worst of the four, it was Ramkhan Behakar, Rendi Burmasurim, then Bethel Torah, and the worst of the four is taking your mind and learning Chachmas Umos. Learning, not Kutus here, that could be even worse. Obviously, the Rebbe is not scoping out everything with these four categories. But learning the Klikas Noiga sciences of the world. If it's the Klikas Tameas of the world, it would be worse. But even learning the Klikas Noiga sciences of the world is listed as the worst of the four. And the question, of course, is why? It's a Limud, it's Klikas Noiga. And the Rebbe explained that the reason why this is so, so detrimental it's from a spiritual perspective, because when you are filling your mouth and your mind with empty words, it's pretty bad. You're supposed to be filling your mouth and your mind with Hashem. But it's still affecting only the emotions. It's not an intellectual pursuit. But when you take your mind, the mind that Hashem gave you, the mind that's supposed to be connected to the Avishter, and you fill that mind with the Kritas Naiga secular sciences, secular studies, you're defiling the Chabad of your Neshama. You're taking the Kritas Naiga, and that's what you're putting into what should be the purity of the Chabad of your Neshama. Where does it get such power from? The Rabbi says, this is a fallout of Shri Asakalim. So from Shri Asakalim, those chips and shattered shards of the Kalim, of the world of Taihu, that fell into the sciences of the world, they have enormous power. And if you're using that power, Stam, Fazich, for your own intellectual enjoyment, it's a tremendous defilement of the gift Hashem gave you of your mind. So is one ever allowed to learn them? The Lord says only for Parnassa, only if you are using them just as a tool to dig with as a way to have the Parnassah to serve Hashem, or, on a higher level, this is taking Kudas Naga and truly elevating a very high in Kedusha, if you know how to directly use these studies to serve Hashem, to understand His prayer better, as the Rambam did, as the Ramban did, using, if you're using astrology or mathematics or any of the natural sciences, that can and all could potentially be used to directly serve Hashem. That's an amazing use of them. But if it's just for intellectual pleasure, whatever says this is the worst of the four. That is chapter 8. Sorry, it took me longer than it should have. Does anyone have any questions? Please unmute yourself, star 6. I guess not. Tomorrow I will do this before Shkia.